couple of years ago, Dallas Willard began our time together by saying those words. He didn't write it on the board like I just did, but he just stood in front of us without any sort of introduction and he just said, resolve to eliminate hurry from your life. And I leaned over to the guy next to me who was a pastor from Australia and I said, I don't think this guy's got three kids under the age of six at home. How in the world do you do that? How in the world do we not hurry? And what's the point? Why would you... I didn't understand at at the moment when he began the class that way. What the importance of it was. A couple years later, I think I'm starting to grasp it. Resolve to eliminate hurry from your life. Think through your week. When you get up in the morning and begin to get ready, do you give yourself enough time to get where you need to go? What do you begin to feel inside you when you know you're running late? When you've got too much on your plate, you said you would be somewhere for somebody and you're not there. What does life begin to look like? You ever sat down with somebody that you're looking forward to talking to and they glance at their watch and you can tell they're really not listening? And what that feels like? Perhaps you've done that to someone else and you feel bad afterwards. We live in a world with so much hurry. From class to work to this club, this fellowship thing, this Bible study. You, uh, if, if I know you, I'm getting to know you. You probably, if there's a space in your calendar for something to fit, you'll fit something in there, right? If you've got a two-hour break between classes, you might not let that just sit. But you fill it with something that goes all the way up to five minutes before whatever you've got to go to next. Uh, I would say I'm guilty of it too. One of the hardest times that my wife and I... uh, experience on a weekly basis is getting three kids ready for church. It's always something that comes up and getting kids buckled in their car seats and we come frazzled to church and it takes us half of the time to slow down and finally start to listen to what's being said. It's even worse when my wife and I teach a couple's Sunday school class with two other couples and on the weeks when we teach. A lot of times I'm up there thinking to myself, what am I doing teaching when I feel like this? When I've snapped at my kids to get in the car and just like that through clenched teeth. How many times have you reacted to someone or something with great impatience, because you had to be somewhere. You had to do something. 
He couldn't quite understand why this person couldn't cut the conversation short. What's the point, you're saying? Maybe some of you are saying that right now. What's the point of this? I know this morning, I'll just make an apology, that I was probably all over the place. I probably crammed three talks into one. I apologize for that. So you're going to get a bonus tonight. It's going to be one thing we're going to talk about. And it's this. There's a, there is a passage of Scripture, though, that I'd love to just unfold a little bit. And you may know it, and you may know it by a different translation, but this is what it says. The point of what we've been talking about this weekend isn't just for us to have an intimate relationship with God and recognize the presence of the kingdom and the king amongst us and rest in that. But we live out of that reality into a world that is dying to know what life looks like. So I want you, if you have your Bibles, if you can listen to this. This is Ephesians chapter 2. And depending on your translation, the last verses might sound different to you. Listen to this. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to walk in good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Gracious God, Would you slow us down long enough to hear? Would you quiet our hearts and minds and help us to hear you tonight? Would we learn what it means to walk and not hurry? And in so doing, see your presence and your kingdom in our midst. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that Kelsey and I enjoy doing is taking walks in our neighborhood, but an issue we had in our marriage early on is that when Kelsey walks, she walks for exercise. 
And so she does the little power walk thing. I'm not going to imitate it up here lest I embarrass myself. But it's a whole body kind of walk. Arms and everything, hips. and She moves quickly when we walk. I don't walk like that when I walk. If I'm going to run, I'm going to run. And um, <laughs> I'm not going to walk like that. Um, so it was an issue for us when we said we wanted to go for a walk. And there had to be some compromise. I, when I walk, I love to just stroll and talk. Notice things around us. I'm not saying my way is better, even though it is. But <laughs> it was something that we had to learn how to do together. But when you walk, I'm sure some of you walk to work and class and do you notice the people around you, the things around you? Ever notice what kind of day it is, how beautiful your campus is? Do you take the time or are we in such a hurry to get somewhere that we miss what's around us? I think that hurry is one of the things that plagues us as a people. And I know that it, in my own life, hurry created in me uh, anger, bitterness. I was so wanting my day to look a certain way and get a certain amount of things done that if I didn't get those things done at the end of the day, I was short-tempered with Kelsey and my kids. I was upset with myself. And then I began looking at my next day and trying to figure out what I could cut short so I could pack back in the things I didn't do the day before. My friends, that is no way to live. It is no way to live. And this passage in Ephesians has so much in there. But that last verse is that we are called to walk in these things that God has laid out for us. I know elsewhere that Paul talks about running a good race. Finishing things with perseverance. And he uses imagery of an athletic event. But if we are to embrace this truth that we are deeply and dearly loved by God, and we are called to announce His kingdom and His presence in our world, we cannot do that while we are running 90 miles an hour. And if we become the kind of people that are so busy and overworked and overstressed and overcommitted, everybody just looked up. Did something just happen? It's a bat. Awesome. Is there really a bat flying around? Oh, yeah. This was a visual I didn't plan on. Well, everybody will be watching the bat the rest of the evening. 
Let's just be honest. Forget what I was saying about noticing the things around you. Focus right here, right here. Be not distracted. I'm not going to be offended if you look at the bat. That's pretty cool. Um, If we are overcommitted, stressed, we are not bearing witness to the light that Christ has put in us. We become... um, I think that when Jesus talks about people that have lost their flavor, their saltiness, we become like that. We are called to be different if we follow Him. We are. It doesn't mean that we don't do things with excellence. It doesn't mean that we don't use the gifts that God has given us. But the way in which we do it is to be different. We are to be those that are available to the people around us. Think about the Gospels and how Jesus and His disciples walked from place to place. And the Gospels are full of these stories of Jesus meeting needs as He went. Imagine how the Gospels would read in an age of airplanes. And if Jesus had frequent flyer miles with his disciples and they just flew from place to place. What would the Gospels read like then? Because we are full of these stories of people coming up to Jesus and Him responding to the needs around Him and having time and full availability to address people in their need. As I mentioned earlier, if you have been someone that has longed to pour out what is going on in your heart to someone else. And you see them in a crowded place looking past you, looking at their watch, even texting in the midst of talking to you. You feel disrespected. And you feel um, insignificant. My friends, would we be different. Walking in this world in such a way that we have resolved to eliminate hurry from our lives. Resolve to eliminate hurry from your life. There's a proverb that says this. I just lost it. It's 19... It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. A man's own folly ruins his life, and yet his heart rages against the Lord. When we hurry, when we hurry in our lives, it is a quick bridge to rage. In anger. Because we are confronted with the reality that we cannot finish what we have said we would start. That we have taken on too much. And if you have ever been in that place 
when you have three papers and two tests in the next two days and you can't fit it all in, look at how you treat yourself and others. And then come back to this. Resolve to eliminate hurry from your life. Are there things that you could do when you return home from here? That if you know that your Wednesday is by far your worst day because of when you have to wake up and what you have to do and what that day is full of, what would you change? And let me ask you this. Who is indeed in control of your life? It is your life. If there are things that are killing you, your spirit, and your soul, making you a jerk to those you live with and work with. Quit them. Stop them. Change them. Now, I know what some of you might be saying, David, you have no idea what I have to do, who I live with. or There's no way that you could say that. Let me ask you again, who is in control of your life? And do you want to live a life that is burdened by anger and stress? I can tell you that since Kelsey and I have tried to undertake adopting this in our family, Sunday mornings are better. We just wake up earlier. It's a simple thing. We wake up an hour earlier. We go to bed an hour earlier on Saturday. And when we wake up, we can actually love our children and get them in the car and go to church and actually worship. It's a simple thing. Because we realize what life looked like when we hurried through it. And it's not what we wanted. I sat in on Dave Lutz's seminar earlier and was amazed to see some of the common things that um, God speaks through many different disciplines. And I erased it now. I'm sorry, Dave. But um, I was amazed to see that when he was talking about how you change things, you take a step back and you get perspective on it. Very similar to what Dallas taught us in this class is that real change of any kind, real change in your life involves three things. One is that you have to have a vision of it. And this vision for your life has to be so compelling and grab you to such an extent that it compels you to change. So, if you don't like how you are angry every Wednesday because of the stress that is involved in your life and the hurry that that brings that about, can you imagine yourself living your day differently? Actually making it through that day and not blowing up at the guy who won't run the red light in front of you or 
the person that's in the lunch line in front of you and can't decide what they want to eat, or whatever it is that makes you wait longer than you wanted to. Can you imagine yourself being able to take those kind of things in stride without fidgeting and getting anxious and shaking? Can you imagine that? That person exists. And we can have a vision for that. Now, there's, that, this can be for almost anything in your life. You struggle with a, something that you wish that you didn't do. Gossip. Anger, bitterness, rage. Slandering others. Breaking other people down so you can build yourself up. Any, any of these kind of things. Did you... There have been times that you have said things and you wish you could have grabbed them back immediately. Whatever these changes are, imagine that who you are now, that there is a person out there that exists that is who you are, but then doesn't do those things that you regret and hate. And that that vision of that person is so compelling that you want to be that. And you actually believe that by God's grace, which we talked earlier about, that it's not just forgiveness, but it's God acting in your life to do that thing that you cannot do on your own. That by God's grace, that you can become that person. So if you have this vision of who you are, Then it takes this. Intention. You have to decide. You have to make the decision. Have the intention to do that. You have to say to yourself and maybe others with you, listen, this is what I want my life to look like. Will you help me? Will you hold me to that? And you make that decision to do that. And then the last thing is simply, what are those means? You can look at transform, transformation of almost any kind and put it up against these three things and realize that with a compelling enough vision and an intention to do it and the means to do it, that that change is possible. So the character things that you hate about yourself, the things that you do, the fact that your life uh, is in such a place where you seem to treat people much more poorly than you want to, that feeling that you might have that, that you miss certain things that other people see because you are consumed with doing your deal. Have a vision that there's something different possible. Make the decision. And then find out those things that will enable you to get there. Resolve to eliminate hurry from your life. I don't know how profound this hits you. I don't know if you're wondering what this has to do with anything else. 
as I talked this weekend, that I firmly think that in our world, we need people that are recognizing the presence of God and His kingdom among us. And recognizing the places where darkness still reigns and the light of Christ needs to shine in our relationships and injustice in our world. And we cannot do that if we are hurrying through it. We must slow down long enough to see what God sees and to hear what He hears. So what will you do when you come home? What will you do when you look at your upcoming week and you see the number of tests and papers that are due? Is there anything that you can do so that you are not hurrying through your life? I guarantee you that this simple thought can have an amazing impact on all of us if we are to resolve to eliminate hurry from our lives. Jesus did not hurry through His ministry and through His life. And He touched and transformed people that suffered with things for years. Because He moved in the places where the kingdom of God, He was and is, usher of the kingdom of God. And He changed our world. And as followers of Him, we too can live differently. Resolve to eliminate hurry from your life. It may not hit you this week, but I pray that it will. Maybe the week after, or the week after, when you find yourself at the end of that place again, and you wonder if you have any strength left. What will you do? Is there a vision of a different way to live? And will you make a decision to move towards that? And will you find the means to make that change? Tonight, after small groups, uh, I know we are coming back here to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, communion. And for many of us, we have probably taken that meal before. And sometimes it's easy for us to treat that like a ritual and to uh, simply come down and take it and dip, drip the bread in the cup and do that. Get back to our seat for the rest of the evening and the rest of the night's activities. But could you take this one differently and not rush it? Not hurry through it. Not just think it's something that we do when we gather at camps like this. Would you not hurry through this one and take it 
and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray together. Father, I don't know. Um, I honestly get the sense that uh, on the faces of those listening that Maybe this uh, this didn't hit home. But I pray that, um, that you would sink this message into all of us. Somewhere, somehow, perhaps we none of us are walking away with five ways to do this. But you alone know our lives. And you alone know what happens to us when we hurry through life. And I know, Lord, the first time I heard this statement, I didn't even understand why it was important. So I'm going to trust you with this one. And trust you that um, perhaps the only statement that is remembered from this is that there's something wrong with hurry. And I'll let you work out in everyone's life how to take care of those things. Lord, may we be people that listen to others and don't rush through our relationships, don't rush through our work, our classes, but that we would drink in every moment that you have given us. Recognizing that you are present with us. You are not simply present when things get quiet, though we hear you better there. That you are with us even in the chaos of our day and at any moment and at any time we can call upon your name and you can breathe life into our broken bones and broken spirits. So Lord, forgive me if if this was somehow unclear. But Father, I do pray that um, this message somewhere, somehow finds root. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.